Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. What if your team looked forward to Mondays instead of Fridays? You might laugh and not be able to imagine that kind of a reality. But our guest today, Don Rehm, insists this type of workplace culture is possible and already in place in many organizations today. Don's book is called Thrive by Design, the Neuroscience that Drives High-Performance Cultures. In his book, Don presents the science, yes, the science, of great leadership that offers managers and senior leaders deep insights into what drives employee performance from a brain-based perspective. In today's episode, Don will discuss how to apply the approaches and tools outlined in his book so your team can achieve increased productivity, well-being, accountability, and retention. You'll see less absenteeism, gossip, employee drama, accidents, and shortfalls in quality. Don is the CEO of E3 Solutions. He's also a former White House correspondent, congressional science advisor, and technical consultant. I asked Don about why it's important for company leaders to embrace the science behind employee performance. When it comes to human behavior and what drives human behavior, most organizations are about 20 years behind the science. It, it really is, in a way, the last latent opportunity to derive additional business value in, in the double-digit percentages because uh, everyone's done lean, everyone's done Six Sigma, uh, and so where, where are the remaining frontiers of, of deriving more value out of our companies? And it's in the way we treat our people. We'll hear more from Don right after this message from our sponsor, Interrobang Solutions. Would you like to position your company as an industry thought leader, increase engagement, and build credibility with prospects and clients? Establish your influence as a trusted resource? Interrobang Solutions offers full-service writing and publishing solutions that deliver your company's messages with a bang. You can count on us to provide turnkey solutions that support your existing marketing and communication staff or act as your full-service outsourced partner. Interrobang Solutions, providing custom writing, editing, and publishing solutions. Visit www.interrobangsolutions.com. We're talking business now with Don Rehm, the CEO of E3 Solutions. In this episode of Talking Business Now, Don talks with us about using employee workplace metrics to build an engaged, high-performance culture. Welcome, Don. Thank you. Let's talk about what you mean by neuroscience. What is it? Well, we've, we've learned more about the brain in the last eight to ten years than we have in the previous thousand. And in some of the early things that came out that were very exciting was mapping the brain. That is, where, where do certain activities, where are they centered in the brain? And that was some of the first excitement. But now we have a much better sense of why 
we do what we do as human beings. And not only do we share 99.9% of our DNA with each other, we also share common origins of behavior and, and why we do things the way we do. All I'm doing in the book and in our work at E3 Solutions is bringing that knowledge into the workplace. Now, when you say into the workplace, you're talking about managers and top senior executives in the company being able to tap into that and bolster their team's productivity, uh, ability to work together, cut down on the drama, <laughs> those kinds of things, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, when, when science delivers new insights, uh, typically business and industry jumps on it right away. Um, whether it's new insights around uh, medicine or technologies, um, where most companies are at the cutting edge of science. But when it comes to human behavior and what drives human behavior, most organizations are about 20 years behind the science. It, it really is, in a way, the last latent opportunity to derive additional business value in, in the double-digit percentages. Because uh, everyone's done lean, everyone's done Six Sigma, uh, and so where, where are the remaining frontiers of, of deriving more value out of our companies? And it's in the way we treat our people. It's so interesting that that's the most overlooked because everything starts with people. I mean, there's just no way around it. You can have the best inventory system in the world. You can have the best processes in the world. But if the people aren't behind them, if the people don't buy in, if they're not getting along together, then all that is for naught. So it's it's really kind of a head scratcher that it's a lagger instead of a leader. And uh, I guess the obvious question then is if this all really comes down to science, if leadership really comes down to a science. Can everyone be a leader then? Is it shared? Well, um, everyone has the capacity to be a better leader. Um, and from a science perspective, we, we talk about people's abilities as either being the result of nature or nurture. And certainly some people are born uh, with the wiring and abilities and capacity that makes them natural leaders. And I think the, the average is that one out of 10 of today's managers has that capacity. Um, but the rest need some nurturing. They need some help. Uh, that is, uh, most of them have the capacity to be a better leader, but it's the content that they're getting. And, and here's a key point. So we've had at least two decades now of leadership books. There's more than a thousand books on leadership in print today. The market is just awash in these books. And yet, the number of employees reporting being engaged when they get to work in the surveys that are done nationally. That, that needle has barely budged over those two and a half decades. That is, all of these leadership books are out there, people are reading them, but they're all cognitive, tactical things to do, said in different ways and different forms with different acronyms, but we're not getting to the heart of what leadership is, and that is how to create the conditions where human beings thrive according to what the brain is looking for in order to perform at its best. Let's talk about some of those things then. How can company leaders use the information that you have gathered to create companies where there are engaged employees, where basically to use that data that you've come up with to inspire their workforce? Put it in practical terms. Well, we, sure. So uh, the first, the most practical thing we do is we measure engagement inside organizations. So we have a 28-question online survey that every employee in the company takes. And then based on that data, uh, we can break it down. And we break it down first and primarily by manager. 
So for every manager with at least five people reporting to them, we can tell the business owners how engaged that team is under that individual's leadership. Now, the reason that is so important is because about 70% of the variance in how someone performs when they get to work, about 70% of that variance is directly attributable to their immediate manager or supervisor. So the, the first plan of attack, if you will, is to understand which of my managers although they all might be technically competent, wonderful people, but which of my managers are struggling as leaders? And then the, the data from the 28 questions tells us exactly what, what kind of training we need to give that manager so they can turn it around. That would be one very practical aspect of it. The other is what, why I wrote the book. CEOs or clients are saying, Don, I need it in a book. And so they have their managers, for example, in, in manager cohort groups that do a chapter a month and they come together and talk about it. How are we going to implement this? What are we going to do? So we, we do want to be very practical. And then the third step is we have an online platform for managers where they can go to get the skills they need in real time 24-7. So you're not just telling them they can actually, you have tools that you have provided that they can use as well. When you're talking, you, you mentioned that 70% of what you're going to get out of people and, and the the way they react, it, it comes down to their immediate manager. But what are some of the other results that you're finding that, uh, for example, what are some of the characteristics of some of the happiest workplaces? Well, and that's a good question. You mentioned the happiest workplaces. And let me do one quick baseline before we get into that. One, most of the employee engagement surveys that are out there are actually employee satisfaction surveys. Mm -hmm. And they ask employees to self-report on how satisfied and happy they are. And, and it's really important to have happy employees, but we don't ask a single satisfaction question, and here's why. Employee satisfaction is an attitude. Employee engagement is a behavior. And so what we believe is that we should be actually measuring what drives behavior, not what drives satisfaction. It, it might seem like that's semantics, but it isn't. Um, there's a huge difference between those two. So what are some of the differences that we see in the data? It's interesting. So uh, I just did a debrief of, uh, of a very large um, uh, real estate development company in the mid-Atlantic um, yesterday. And uh, what we see is same company, same culture, same core values, same salary structure and compensation structure. Some managers, uh, some work groups are 100% engaged. Other work groups are 100% disengaged. And the only difference between those various work groups is the manager. And so then you dive in to look and find out what's going on. Here's one key. One of the highest returns on investment a business owner can make and their team and their leaders is to shift to a more positive managerial structure. That is where managers learn how to hold people accountable, for example, without being negative. Employees in a positive environment. Uh, the research shows they have over they have about 30, 31% additional capacity to do good work uh, when they're in a positive environment. So we want to reduce the number of negatives in the workplace. And neurochemically in the brain, we see the same thing. It takes five positive interactions with a human being 
to neutralize one negative. Mm. There's this, this, this huge ratio of the, of the impact that neg- negativity has on the brain and how it starts to consume me- what's called metabolic capacity, people's ability to think, to process, to care, all of that declines in a negative environment. So you're saying that there is room for criticism, for improvement, and so forth in workplaces and, and accountability, certainly, but it's the way in which it's conducted. Well, yeah, absolutely. So the, the typical uh, managerial structure in, in many organizations is, is the same as it's been for 250 years since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Top-down, hierarchical, punitive. Mm-hmm. And in a punitive environment where employees uh, are penalized for making mistakes, what do human beings do of any age if they're going to get penalized for making a mistake? They hide, hide them. Exactly. And, and, and mistakes that are hidden metastasize. So the, the better way to think of a mistake is really is an opportunity. That mistake was made inside the company with our people. Let's find out how it unfolded that way and view the mistake as an opportunity to make sure it doesn't happen that way again. And that kind of more uh, enlightened approach um, is where the future of work is going to be because uh, the other part of this discussion we haven't had yet, Kelly, is that we are in the, we have the lowest unemployment rate since we've had the Vietnam War. We're at full employment today in the United States. It's, that trend is not going to change. It's the new norm. And the largest source of new talent in the American economy today are millennials, 34 and younger, and Gen Z, 22 yes. and younger. Yes. Those employees will not stay in a punitive hierarchical environment. So if, if the business leaders listening, if they want one of the most important things they should be focusing on right now is a retention strategy. And this is where working on employee engagement accomplishes the same goal. What can we do inside the organization that encourages people to stay? And we refer to this, Kelly, as emotional Velcro. I had a, a, a CEO of a construction company in Phoenix say, hey, Don, this is why you're here. I'm building a structure on the south side of the street. I've got a competitor on the north side of the street building something else. And I need to know how do I keep my workers from walking across the street for 25 cents an hour more? Because they were. And the only way to do that is to create emotional Velcro between the employee and the organization. Why would I stay? Why wouldn't I walk for 25 cents an hour? And if there is no emotional Velcro between the employee and the company, uh, they will walk and probably should. Yeah, and I love that term, that emotional Velcro. How do you make them stick? And as you say, it's it's all about creating that environment where they can thrive and get the fulfillment that they are looking for. You mentioned earlier about how it takes five positive engagements in order to negate one negative engagement. So, so many companies do have a toxic work culture. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. And, and I'm sure you have lots of statistics to back that up. But if someone's listening and they have enough awareness to realize that there is a toxic work culture in their company, how do they even start to turn that around? Well, uh, first, you, you need to get a baseline, and, I, and I'm, uh, I'm sorry I keep coming back to measuring, but you can't manage what you don't measure. Right. So if you want to manage the engagement inside your organization, you need to measure it, measure it right away to get a good baseline. But again, please make sure you're measuring what drives engagement, not what drives satisfaction, two completely different approaches. Um, 
And when you get that data, you now can make informed decisions on where to start. But I will give, you know, I'll throw out something that we know from our global data. The lowest scores that, that in our global database are, are around recognition and feedback, mm-hmm. valuing people. And so we, we help our clients, um, we, we define validation uh, with one objective, giving recognition is another objective, and then there's constructive feedback, which is, has a third objective. The, to the point you made earlier in, in your conversation, you used the word criticism. Uh, we often use what's, what's called constructive criticism, but from a brain-based perspective, there is no receptor in the brain for constructive criticism. <laughs> Anything negative is a punch to the brain. So we can have constructive feedback, but constructive criticism turns out to be an oxymoron. It actually doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So these are just some of the techniques. How, how can a manager hold someone accountable without being overtly critical or shaming uh, to the individual? Uh, that's going to be a key, key learning for managers today. Wasn't done for them that way, and so it's new. On the, you know, the managers want to be doing the right thing, but they just don't have the muscle memory to do it because it wasn't done for them. Well, you bring up a good point there because you're talking about millennials earlier. And as you say, there are older managers who really do want to communicate with the new people, the new workers that are coming in at the new age group. Uh, but at the same time, like you say, they're just not equipped with the muscle memory because it just doesn't exist. And yet you've got millennials looking at them like, well, how do you, how do you how did you ever manage with the approach that you're using? And so, you know, they, they're getting this reputation <laughs> yeah, in the workplace exactly. is coming in and, you know, they're disrupting notions about boundaries, about communication and other traditional work practices. And I think we probably all really want the same thing. And what, what would you identify as what millennials really want in the workplace today? Well, we, everything we do, we, we rely on research and science because there's just too much anecdotal advice out there today. One individual, what they think works, and, and often it, it doesn't pan out the same for others. Here's what we know about millennials. Um, they frame work differently than, than we do, uh, you and I or their parents did. And their experience is simply different. Um, and one way to, to think about this, that I explain it uh, in, the, in the talks that I give, um, if we think about our parents or our grandparents, Either one of them, one of the other pair, lived through extended years of deprivation. It was either a world war or a depression. And when you've lived through extended years of deprivation, a job represents survival to you. People that had a job in those times had food on the table and a roof over their head, and those that didn't were in a tent camp and a soup line. So they framed work as a survival issue. Um, and many, many of us can, rec- can remember the first time we went in and told our parents, oh, I have this horrible manager at work. They did this, that, and the other. And our parents replied, suck it up and get back in there. You're lucky to have a job. Exactly. And it turns out that was, that was literally true. We are now in our 100th month of continuous economic growth in the United States. 100 months where every month was better than the month before and 99 continuous months of job growth. Um, the environment that millennials and Gen Z have grown up in has not included extended years of deprivation. So their frame of work very naturally and very appropriately is different. They see work, according to the research, as a place to extend their social network. So they want to like the people they work with and engage with them in issues in in ways beyond just the work. Secondly, they look to their job to find meaning and purpose in their life. 
So they want to have meaning and purpose because life isn't a struggle for most of them. I mean, yes, they have horrendous student loan debt, and, and some of them uh, experienced the recession in ways that definitely had an impact. But no one was in a soup line or a tent camp. So they want, they want meaning and purpose in their life, and they look to their job to help them find it. They also want to work for leaders that are values-based. Uh, values mean something to them. Uh, so one of, the, one of the questions we ask in our survey is, are the senior leaders, is their behavior congruent and consistent with mission, vision, and values of the company? Um, leaders need to walk the talk, uh, or millennials, uh, uh, they don't feel comfortable in that kind of environment. So a toxic manager, negative manager, in their face, anger issues, shaming people, putting people in a one-down position, they won't stay. And the last time I looked at the U.S. Department of Labor stats, the average tenure of a millennial was 2.5 years. So they're already walking when they don't find what they need and are looking for in a job. Exactly. As we close this episode, Don, as a final piece of advice to our listeners, what one thing should top company leaders be talking business now about in 2019 when it comes to employee engagement? What one thing, if you could leave them with today? I I would have to say it's about retention. How can we use employee engaging initiatives as a way to improve and increase our retention because the longer uh, we we move into this year economically, the harder and harder it's going to be to find good new talent. So let's hold on to the good people we have and please do not lose good people because you have managers that can't adapt to the future of work because it's here now. Yeah, it's, it's not the future anymore. We're living it right now. A lot of this information is in your book, and you have tools on your website, as you mentioned earlier. Where can we get the book, and what is your website? I think any of the internet uh, uh, booksellers have it. Amazon.com has it. Uh, just go to Amazon.com and search for uh, Thrive by Design the neuroscience that drives high-performance cultures. They could also find it by going to donream.com, and they'll see um, that's a a site put together with Forbes that lays out the book, what's in it, so they can get the full title and everything else. Uh, They can also go to our company website, e 3 the number three solutions.com, e3solutions.com. Okay, so donream.com, and that's Don Reem, R-H-E-E-M dot com or to uh, E3Solutions.com, your company website. Don, thank you so much for being our guest today. We really appreciate all your insights. been fun, Kelly. Thank you for creating these, these great insights for business leaders across the country. I absolutely love it. We appreciate the support of our sponsor in Bang Solutions, providing writing, editing, and publishing services. Give them a call at 913-220-4251 or visit interrobangsolutions.com. And thank you for tuning in today. Please be sure to join us for the next episode of Talking Business Now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.